welcome to the Sparky Life Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Lamella. Here we discuss women in the trades and how to construct your career. Welcome back to our continued discussion with Hillary Peach, part two. Hillary and I get heated as we express our views on workplace conduct and communication. Why should I have to be constantly negotiating my place? Why should I have to constantly be trying to prove that I do belong or have my ability to belong questioned always or have to decide whether or not a joke is offensive or be concerned about whether I'm friends with a guy who just said something rude to me or whether I'm friends with him now or friends with him later or whether he knew he was insulting me or didn't know he was. None of that should even be on the table as far as I'm concerned, right? You do your job. Everybody treats you well. You advance. You become a foreman. You get a radio. You become a supervisor. You become a superintendent. You'll run a crew. You get another job. You become an estimator. Like all that path. What I want to see is for that path to open up in a natural way for everybody. I think that's beautiful. Playing devil's advocate, right? We aren't always negotiating in every situation. Don't you think men and women as well? In life, in general, everyone's manners are different. Everyone grew up differently. It's, it's what makes everything so beautiful. I, I love juxtaposition and different cultures, different places, different people. So in a way, aren't we always negotiating, trying to figure out, feel someone out? Sure. But if I'm sitting across the table from some guy for 10 days and he's asking me if he, I want him to rape me. No. And asking me if I'm putting lip balm on because I'm getting ready to suck his cock. Do you think that I need to listen to that on my coffee break? Oh, of course not. Do I need to negotiate that with him? That's not negotiation. No, that's not negotiation. I'm not talking about extremes like that. I'm not. That's unacceptable. There are common courtesy. Right. Yeah, and that's all I'm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That statement can't be interpreted as anything else but assault. That's what that is. That's an assault. So I told that story in this book. And here's the funny thing. Yes. A couple of different guys took me aside and said, you know, you don't have to put up with this. You, there, you're, you know, there are things that you could, they didn't like it either. Right. You know, as it turns out that that kind of really extreme bad behavior, that kind of showboating, or dominance behavior, because that's what it is. It's bullying and dominance. Yes. You know, it might be endemic in the industry, but it's not characteristic of every person. And there's a lot of people that are men and women who have the same reaction to it, right? Yes. One of the surprising things with this book is that I've been getting so much feedback from men. Yes. And I got a guy wrote, wrote to me from a mine way up north in Canada who said he'd been a mining executive. He's an executive now, but he was a mining operations supervisor for many, many years and uh, sounded like a fairly tough nut. But he said, you know, it's about time these stories started being told. He said, women are welcome in our industry. Women are great workers. They're great welders. We welcome women in the industry and we can't attract them because there's a reputation that the culture is toxic it's so hard it's so toxic that's right. right right that's right and maybe that's the word leah maybe that's the thing right like what i'm i'm not objecting to the occasional dirty joke i'm objecting to a kind of systemic toxic culture that excludes whole sectors of the society a hundred percent 
A hundred percent. So, and you know, and I've had men going, I'm a pipe fitter. I've been a pipe fitter for 28 years. I think all the men in my union should read this book. Yes. That blew my mind. That blew me away. And then brothers in the I totally agree. I totally agree. Again, though, the whole book isn't about men and women. (laughs) No, it's not at all, actually. It's about animals. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what I loved so much about it. It's such a true representation. It's such a well-rounded, honest representation of what it is to be in the trades, to be in a construction career. I hope so. Like for anybody, though, right? A hundred percent. The whole book touched me. It First of all, any female in the trades that reads this book is just going to melt. They're just going to feel so good on so many levels. Like <laughs> someone... They, they, they've said it, you know, they, they understand, they've lived it they're, they're, and they've voiced it, right? It's, it's like you're, you're representing our voice and that's special, that's magical. But then any woman outside of the field that reads it, they're going to be like, wow, this is an adventure. This is, sounds so stimulating. Like I want to investigate a career in the trades. I, I want to dive into this. This is so cool. I never thought in a million years. Guys that read it are going to appreciate it. They're going to connect to it. I mean, really on so many levels, on so many levels here. Well, one of the nicest things someone said was a a sister in the Boilermakers Union here in BC. It was a a friend had a little book launch party at their house and Carla, Carla bought four copies of the book. (laughs) She said, for 10 years, I've been trying to explain to my family what I do. Yes. Don't understand. I haven't been able to do it. And she said, but you did it in this book. So I'm just buying them all this book. Yes. <laughs> yes. We don't tell the stories of what goes on at the back end, like of the construction trade. And here's another kind of crazy thing, like electrical and carpentry and plumbing have a retail space. Yes. They have a consumer space. They have a place where they interact with the general public. So like you say to your local librarian, you know, what does a plumber do? She can probably tell you a lot of things. You say, what does a millwright do? Well, a librarian might know, but um banker might not. No, many people would ha- wouldn't have a clue. What does a boilermaker do? No clue. Don't know. Work on boilers. <laughs> that's it, right? <laughs> oh, it's all the industrial commercial space. And that's another reason that the cultural, the, the, the culture or the subculture is so, is the culture is very insular, right? Because it doesn't actually have a public face. So it emphasizes the idea that there are two worlds, that there's the world of like the regular world where normal people walk around and go, you, you're what you call your laundromat body, where you go to the laundromat and you go to the grocery store and you go and you fill your car up with gas. But then there's this other world, which is the world underneath that runs everything. Right. Right. It's the kind of infrastructure that keeps the industrial reality going. It makes me think of the matrix, like what's happening behind the scenes, right? <laughs> but like many people don't ever get to see that. And it's, it's, a, it's, they're, proprietary about the secrets too there's a lot of especially in the unions don't want that to be seen that's the secret it's the secret knowledge it's kind of a cabal right yes so i wanted to talk about that too i wanted to sort of say you know what it's not actually sacrosanct you know what we do is we go into confined spaces we take things apart and put them back together and 
this is how it works and it's it's not rocket science but it's like rocket science sometimes i wanted i thought that would be sort of you know empowering if people could understand a little bit more about just how things function in the world absolutely absolutely yeah. and you're elevating careers in the trade you're elevating it you know there's this <laughs> or discouraging everyone i <laughs> not at all not at all you didn't want to become a pe teacher after reading this book <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you. Not not my thing. <laughs> you know, there's this common stigma that if you're in the trades, you are somehow less than or your intellect or academic ability is lacking. And this is the farthest thing from the truth. Well, I mean, certainly I don't think tradespeople are less intelligent inherently. Of course not. But you're right. You're right. There's the working classes and then there's the supposedly um, more elite classes, right? And I, that may be more defined in the United States than it is in Canada, but similar for sure. For sure. Yes, yes. That's that's the, the other really cool thing. So in Canada, it's called a travel card. And in America, it's called like booming out. So it's so interesting. And you had the best perspective because you got to work in Canada and in America. Did you see differences in how things were done or was it very similar? Like what was your, what was your breakdown? Yeah, there's a lot of differences. I mean, just the technical differences in the welding, like we call it TIG welding. They call it Heliarc, which is one of the brand names. The stinger, we use a gooseneck stinger to put your welding rod in. They use a clamp stinger. Like the first welding test I did down there, I was looking for the stinger because I didn't. And they're like, oh, well, let's have like, I've never seen one before. How am I supposed to do a test with this? Yes. Yeah, there's stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely cultural differences. Right. Sure, you know, and even different parts of the United States. Yes. Right from, from Washington State to Pennsylvania or, you, you know, it's it's kind of like you guys have 50 little countries well i mean that's the that's the united part is it okay i'm yes. finally i finally understand <laughs> you and me both <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that's so cool i i know that when i w was lucky enough to travel i i love it i love i love learning about different cultures different countries it's fantastic and seeing those differences especially in the trades and construction. I'm so curious, like what, what were some of the big cultural differences that you noticed? Golly. Um, well, let's see, you guys call it soda and we call it pop. <laughs> Politically, I think maybe more divided. Yeah. I think Canadians, I think generally might be more forgiving in their opinions. Um, you guys seem to like your guns a lot more. <laughs> yeah, that's for damn sure. <laughs> well, um, there are places, there's one province in Canada where people like their guns a great deal. I would have never guessed in a million years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I, I would say more a lot, a lot more similarities. And actually the American guys were much more accepting of me. That's so interesting. There's a funny thing when you travel card too, because the fact that you're a guest in somebody else's place, we always say um, it's their sandbox, right? Yes, yes. 
means you're not a threat in any way. I'm not going to tell you, I'm there temporarily. I'm not after anybody's job. I'm just part of the circus for that three weeks or 10 weeks or whatever it is. I'm just part of the fabric, the crazy structure of individuals that have come together to do this thing. Right. Because the whole thing about working shutdowns, maintenance shutdowns, or even new construction is that every day that the plant isn't operating, and it doesn't matter if it's a pulp mill or an electrical plant or a nuclear power plant, it doesn't matter. Every day that it's down, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars being not being made or being lost. Yes. Accomplishing the work that needs, the maintenance work that needs to be done in six days versus 11 days is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. Not just because they're paying all the people on site, but because of the lost revenue, because the plant is down. There's a real sense of urgency. And and I mean, I trained in theater before before welding. And, and it was like that going on tour with a theater show. You had three weeks to hit rehearsal. Everybody learned their lines. They learned their skills. There's the costume person. There's the director. There's the lighting person. There's the tour manager. Everybody's like madly doing their job. And then it's cast. Everyone comes together in one place. You work like crazy, rehearsing a whole bunch of things, doing a whole bunch of work. And then, you know, it's showtime and you do the run. You're in and you're just head down hoping everything goes as smoothly as possible for doing incredible long hours for a really short period of time. And then it's over and you strike the show, you pull out and you move on to the next one. Right. I love that. I love how (laughs) there's such correlation there. So when I, when I say circus, I actually mean a circus, right? Like actually like a circus. So you kind of have to get along in that short term way. And that's why I really like traveling. And I really like traveling to the United States because I was not only an an anomaly for being a woman, but I was also an anomaly because I was a Canadian and I usually traveled alone. So it was like, what are you doing here? Like I was just this, I just kind of baffled them, which was, you know, and and generally the guys in the States were really, really great. The guys in Canada are maybe a little more uh, suspicious of me, I think. Just personal, that's my personal experience, but yeah. Yeah, people have to read the book, I guess, to figure out all that stuff. (laughs) You know, I'm really interested in hearing from other people who want to tell their stories in the trades. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. What do you want your readers, what's the number one thing you want them to take away from from the book? And I was just going to say, too, like you're doing that work, too, right? Telling the stories. What you're doing is so important. It's the same work, really. <laughs> It'd be nothing without you guys. It would be nothing without you guys. What's the takeaway? The one takeaway? Um, yes. Don't bleed in the shark tank. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess the one thing is to just to kind of keep in mind that not to give into imposter syndrome. Yes. That if you start to think, yes. am I imagining this? Or is there something wrong with me? Or number one, no, you're not. You're not imagining it. Whatever you perceive as happening is probably happening. Don't take things personally is probably a really good takeaway. Yes. Because it's not personal. Yes. They don't even know you. Yes. You know, if, if, you're, if you're feeling resistance. And the other thing is, you're, you're not going to feel resistance all the time. You're going to feel a lot of joy going into the trades because it's a heck of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Time, right? It's totally playtime. 
So to kind of revel in that, make sure that you appreciate those days, those sunny days when you're on the 40th floor of a building doing something really fun, landing a big load, running a big machine, the only accomplishments, right? Yes. Yeah. With all your experience and knowledge and background, what's something you always carry with you? What's the number one tool in your tool belt, so to speak? A flashlight. <laughs> flashlight <laughs> yep yep even uh traveling we were just in mexico i still brought my flashlight my partner calls it my roaming around light because i don't put it, <laughs> it on the bedside table like I actually <laughs> with me so i mean i don't know if you meant that literally or metaphysically or philosophically but it works in any of those works as a metaphor too right like always having the tool that you can so you can light up yes the area that you're looking at so you can see what's really going on don't work in the dark right yes. that's that's the tool all right hillary can you tell our audience the best places they can find you they can find the book so i have a website which is just hillarypeach.com and that's with one l h-i-l-a-r-y peach like the fruit <laughs> amazon.com book will be out on amazon.com very soon keep checking back whoop, whoop. <laughs> Send me an email. My email's on the website. Send me an email. I will write you back. I will put that in the show notes for you guys. So you will have access to all of that. The Facebook group called Thick Skin. Yeah. Field notes from a sister in the brotherhood. And what we're doing is people are posting selfies of themselves with the book. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Write to me. I'll send you a postcard. I will. Yeah. I want to see ever. I want to see the readers and I want the readers to see each other. That's so cool. So if you go to that Facebook group and you scroll down or you go to Instagram, there's just picture after picture after picture of readers holding up the book, tradeswomen. And that's really, really fun so that people can see each other, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Super cool. All right, Hillary. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. It was magical. I loved every second. <laughs> fun. I had fun. We even argued a little bit. That was good. <laughs> You you might say argue, I say debate. Debate, debate, Yeah. All right, sweetie. Thank you. This was really so much fun. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Leo. I had an incredible time speaking with Hillary. Hillary Peach is a pioneer. She is an insightful, adaptive, creative woman who paved the way for women like me to follow the career path I am passionate about. I am forever grateful to Hillary and women like her. She left us a bonus excerpt of her reading from her book, Thick Skin, Field Notes from a Sister in the Brotherhood. It will be available for you today to download. Thank you for joining us. If you felt a spark in today's episode, I invite you to write a review. I'd love to hear what lit you up. Take what resonates with you. And if you'd like to hear more of The Sparky Life, please subscribe, like, follow, and share. Until next time, create the sparks in your life.